Welcome to the Church of the Living God, Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. So, as I said last week, um, for the month of October, we're going to be talking about a subject, trusting God. Last week, we spoke about trusting God in uncertain times, and we talked about how trust and faith seem to go hand in hand. Trust, we determined, was a firm belief in his character, the strength or truth in someone or in something. We know his character because in Exodus 34, 6, he tells us, he is merciful, gracious, long-suffering, Goodness and truth are in him. He doesn't just have them. Scripture uses the word abundant. We know that that's true because Scripture proclaims it, but then we talked about how we know it's true because what we have seen in our lives. Faith, we talked about, we think we all know, but it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We talked about how we live by faith 24-7, 365. We talked about being carriers of trust in God. And taking it a little step further and not being asymptomatic, but being marked as people that trust in God. And when we do that, how it affects those around us, how it affects, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, the generations to follow. Today, we're going to talk about trusting God enough to give him control. Author Paula Reinhart writes, trust hangs somewhere between knowing what your heart longs for without trying to dictate the shape or timing or outcome of your heart's desire. It lies in the willingness to accept the particulars of how and when and where God chooses to intervene. It waits in the cool shade of surrender. What is surrender? Submitting to authority or ceasing resistance. I want to share a short clip with you this morning um, with Priscilla Schreier. So enjoy this for about the next four minutes. Sometimes I could raise one hand and sometimes two. It's a funny little video, but it is so true. And what she said, Daddy God knows what's best. If we could ever get to the place that we realize he puts us where we need to be to receive what we need to receive from him. I've always said God speaks to me real simple because I'm a simple girl. So i got to ask you, who tried the new car wash in town? Y'all need to go. So at 54 years old, I have been to very few car washes because in my house, Stuart just washes the cars. That's what he does. But a few weeks ago, we traded in my 2000 Toyota 4Runner that had 350,000 miles, thank you, Jesus, for a brand-new Toyota. Well, I can just tell you that a brand-new Toyota deserves to go to the brand-new car wash. So we went to the car wash, and I went by myself. So I didn't have anybody over here making sure that I knew what I was doing, and I'm going to tell you, I was a little bit intimidated. So the first thing you do is you pull up. Now, if you've been there or been to another one, and you know how it all works, we're just going, you're just going to go with me this morning. You pull up, and the first thing you do is there's a little guy that's going like this. Now, with me, he had to do like this. See, the first thing is you have to be in position. If you're not in position, it's not going to work. So once you get in position, they start pointing at signs. They point at a sign that says, take your foot off the brake, take your hands off the wheel, put it in neutral. <laughs> and I'm like, what? 
okay, but I'm going to do it. So I've done what they said to do. And then all of a sudden, another force starts to pull me through. I'm getting nervous. I'm getting really nervous, and I'm thinking I should just let Stuart wash his car. Then the next thing that happens gets worse because the suds come out, and people, it is a total whiteout. I see nothing, and I'm thinking if something happens to this car, my husband's going to kill me because I just should let him wash it. You think that's silly, but I was truly nervous. It was a whiteout. I'm, I'm done with controls. Something's pulling me, and I can't see nothing. My heart's a little nervous, and as sure as you hear me, I heard that little voice that said, you have to trust. Now, he was not talking to me, you see, about a car wash. He was just talking to me about life in general. You see, we come to church and we sing the song, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even if I don't feel it, you're moving. However it says, and man, at the time, we're reading the words we're singing and the music is going and the spirit is filling the place and, and we are in it. We're in it. But what happens when life's going on? And all of a sudden we say, Lord, I can't see anything. And then sometimes what we say is, God, what I'm seeing is not the promise that you spoke over my life. While I was studying, I just simply felt the Spirit of the Lord say, relinquish control to me. I thought, well, I think I know what that means, but I'm going to look it up because, to be honest, I don't use that word. Relinquish is to voluntarily cease to keep or to claim to give up. Well, the word that stuck out, voluntarily. You see, God doesn't want to come along and rip, rip control from us. He desires that we trust him enough that we willingly, voluntarily give him control. Because you see, when I am in a situation and I'm in control, I'm doing it based on my vantage point, which is what I see, what I hear. And it's limited, right? But God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He doesn't just know what's going on right now, which is what I know because it's what I'm seeing. But he sees the full picture. He sees what has happened to get to this point. But better yet, he knows what's ahead. He knows what's ahead. He's just saying to us, trust me enough to let go of control. Lisa Turkhurst has a book called Trustworthy. It's really good if you guys want to get it. There's a story in here I want to share with you. When my daughter Hope was 15 years old, she announced she wanted to spend the summer with a missionary family in a remote village of Ethiopia. The minute she told me she wanted to do this, my mind started racing through all the scenarios of dangerous possibilities. From her getting kidnapped to contracting a life-threatening illness where she wouldn't even be able to get medical help to her plane crashing. How many moms can testify to that? That's how we'd feel. Fear overwhelmed my emotions to the point that I couldn't hear any of the details she was sharing. I just quickly said, absolutely not. She kept trying to plead her case because I shut her down and kept saying no. I could see the hurt and confusion sitting heavy on her. And that look on her face kept popping into my mind over and over. I felt utterly conflicted. I wanted what was best for her, but fear kept overriding any consideration I had in letting her go. I wanted to protect her, but my desire turned into control the moment I refused to pray and seek God about it. Anytime I want my way more than seeking wisdom, I stop checking my desires with God 
and can easily go astray. She says, eventually I felt God tugging at my heart and thought, the safest place for your daughter is in the center of God's will. Though I was still afraid and anxious, I slowly opened up my heart to the possibility of her going on this trip. Now granted, the fears were not unfounded, but as I released trying to control the situation, I gained a deeper sense of trusting God that if all the details worked out, I wouldn't let my fear hold hope back from going. That summer's mission trip did more to grow Hope's faith in God than anything else she'd ever experienced. God had a plan, and I'm so grateful my desire to control the situation that made me afraid did not derail that experience for her. She goes on and says, when we distrust God, we are, we are in fear of losing control. When we try to take control, we ultimately leave no room for God to be God. We live in the harshness of the worst-case scenario, even though that probably isn't our reality at all, and I do this all the time, triggered by the small fear, and instead of taming that thought, I feed it, I magnify it. Remember what pastor says, what you feed grows. I let it di dictate my reaction. Everything gets blown way out of proportion because I convince myself that only my created protection will help me to avoid the worst-case scenario. Has anybody ever been in a situation where you had an opportunity to do something and you said no? Anybody? Like for real, have you had an opportunity come to you and you said no? Why? Because that's what we do. We sit back and we reason and we think of what if this happens and what if that happens and what if I'm not up to it, God? I'm not advocating to you that every opportunity that comes by you say yes to, but what I am telling you is that if an opportunity comes to you, be willing to trust God enough to give him to control in that situation. And you may say today, I have nothing to give. Well, you do. Psalms 139, 13 to 16 says, You made all the delicate innermost parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, and how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was being woven in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Each of us, he knit together. I don't knit. I don't sew. In my house, if a button comes off, we just need to buy a new shirt but I work with a lady that knits and the thing of it is is that she makes some of the most amazing things but there's a different pattern for each one and then I'll go a little bit further that pattern that she's used to make that certain thing is usually for a specific reason oh this is for a baby shower oh this is for this or this is for that well, what is it, Sherry, that he put inside of you, that he knit together that's a little bit different than Kathy because he's going to use you in a different way? Whatever it is, we all have been made to serve him. As I said, it's a little bit intimidating for me to be in here. I'm going to be honest with you. Growing up as a pastor's kid, I was involved in church as long as I can remember. I mean from being a child. When you're a child as a preacher's kid, you're still going to go ahead and work for the Lord. You start out and you're an assistant in a children's class. Then a little bit later, you get to help with the children's choir. Then you get to lead the children's choir. Then you get to teach a class to the little kids instead of just being a helper. Then you get to teach in children's church. Then you get to go ahead and the whole time you're going to sing specials. 
you know, instant in season and out of season, and then you're going to teach a women's class, and all that's great. But something happened when they said, would you like to teach in the sanctuary? And I'm like, what? <laughs> kind of like the car wash. Seriously? But what I've learned is he created us all individuals. I'm not William H. Going to go ahead and say it. I ain't Brandon. And I don't know the scriptures like my husband. But you see, he created Judy to be Judy. He created you to be you. Whatever it, he, whatever it is that he has put inside of you, whatever that thing is, relinquish control to him. Walk it out. And you might be saying, well, I don't feel called to do anything. We're all called to do something. John 12, 32 says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Well, I don't know much else better that we can do besides simply getting out and lifting him up to people. And even in that, sometimes it's intimidating because you're afraid to share your faith. What I've learned, it's easier for me, though, because I'm a talker, is just be open. Just be open. You'd be surprised what God can do for you. For some of us, it's a little bit harder to relinquish control than others. A few years ago, the ladies went to the Beth Moore simulcast, and we rode the church bus. There wasn't a whole lot of us, and we did what women do. We talk, and we solve world problems. And somehow, you will have to ask Megan and Sister Leela the next time you see them, how in the world we got talking about road rage. That's a really good story. But somehow we did. So we got talking about road rage and driving and all these things. And I just confessed that went on a trip, I just, I just feel better if I'm driving. And Leela said to me, well, I don't know, Judy, sounds like a control issue to me. And I thought, you have just read my mail in front of everybody. It was true. About three weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago, Pamela and Stuart and I went to Washington, and we drove through West Virginia, through windy, windy roads up into Maryland where there's hills. And when you've got 350-somethings, an eight-hour trip turns into a 10-hour trip because we have to stop quite a bit. And at some point, riding back, it just hit me. This is the most relaxing trip I have ever been on. Stuart is used to me sitting over there, holding on, grunting, making noises, making my comments, and doing the break on the passenger side. But there was something about this trip that was different. Could it be? that I finally realized, girl, let go of control. He's got it. He can get you. It's like, yes, Lord, teacher Jesus. But could it be that I finally realized it's okay. He's going to get me to where I need to be. If there's road construction, if there's a block, he'll find another way. He'll use a navigation. He'll use his phone. He'll do whatever. He'll get us to where we need to be. And the Lord just used that to speak to me and said, wow. What if maybe on this journey with me that you're on, we could all just realize, I have traveled long enough with you, God, that I know, even if it's a place I've never been, I can trust you. Windy roads, curvy roads, mountains, valleys, whatever it is. There's an old song that says, I've been through enough to know that he'll be enough for me. He's come through so many times, that puts my mind at ease. I'd stake my very life. He's going to take care of me because I've been through enough to know that he'll be enough for me. There's a story, Second Chronicles. It's a familiar story about King Jehoshaphat. Because see, what I've learned 
is relinquishing control is not always stepping out. A lot of times it is. A lot of times there's something that God lays on your heart and you put yourself to the side and you say, God, I'm going to do what it is that you told me to do. I'm going to give you control in that. So in that, I've got to step out. I've got to come up here and I've got to say, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to talk to these people. I know we're all friends. It's okay. But there's sometimes that giving him control does not mean stepping out. It means stepping to the side and letting him take over. And it might just mean standing still. Think back when you're raising your kids and now, you know, Sawyer, when I've got him, sometimes, man, he is a bundle of energy and he is moving and grooving all the time. And sometimes you're just like, okay, be still just a minute. Listen now. Because sometimes, man, we're so busy. we got so much going on. For him to really be in control, we just got to stand still. We just got to stand still. This is Second Chronicles 20, 13 to 17. It's a familiar passage, and man, it's powerful. As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives and children, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of them standing there. His name was Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benai, son of Jael, son of Matani, a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up from the ascent, ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens up into the wilderness of Jerel. But you will not even need to fight. I'm going to stop there just a second. Somebody needs to know, you don't even need to fight. You don't need to fight. Take your positions. Like the car wash, you've got to be in position. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. So don't be discouraged. Go out there tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. As I said many times, giving up control to God means stepping out. Sometimes it means standing still. This week in this class, I'm not a preacher. <laughs> My title, I believe in life, is an encourager. So I have just done what I feel like God would have me to do for this class. And so I asked a few people, share with me a testimony of when you were in a situation that you had to allow God control. A friend of mine gave me this testimony that has suffered abuse in life. She said, most recently, the healing process I just came through. And she said, it's finished, by the way. It was very scary to face the trauma of my past and to remember those things. I had to allow it to happen and even seek for it in order to have been healed from those memories. I had to trust that if God was allowing those memories to surface, that he was doing it with the intent of taking away the pain and fear that went along with the abuse. She said, I had to trust that he would help me through the process. I was scared to face it, but God had it all under control. And I asked her, I said, was there any certain scripture that you held on to that time? Was there anything that helped you through? She said, no particular scripture. She said, it was like there was something new every day. 
There was a powerful word. There was a powerful song. Something new every day when you're in that process, giving control to him. Another friend says, my son started experimenting with drugs. More drugs than heavy drinking. One incident left him passed out on the side of the road in Lexington. Another incident left him unconscious, taken to the hospital by ambulance. He would be gone for days at a time, and I didn't even know if he was okay. He was argumentative. He was defiant. He did some things, made some choices that made him face felony charges. We're still walking through these things. But she said, the main thing that I stand on and that I have learned is that God is working in the lives of my children. Quote, even when I didn't see it. Because he loves them and he has a plan for them that cannot be improved upon. And then she says, I've also learned that when I step to the side and give him room to do what he needs to do in their lives, he can do more. She can put nothing more into it. But she says what you can do is you can take that energy and you can put it into prayer for them. You can anoint their rooms. You can get prayer cloths and tuck it into their pillow. And she said, I also believe that God brings people into their lives that sometimes can do so much more than I can do. And this next one hits close to home. Um, and I told her, I said, I'm not going to read this whole thing because you're going to stand and give your own testimony one day. But I thought, well, I'm not sure when she'll be here, so I'm going to go ahead and share part of this. She said, my mom wanted me to share a time when I gave up and trusted God enough to give him control of something. What immediately came to my mind was going through my divorce. I was trying to prepare financially, and I had a pretty good plan. I was supposed to get back money in my taxes because of college and because of grants. And I'm going to not go word by word. Some of this I'm going to paraphrase, but what happened was the money never came in. When it came in, it was transferred, it was spent. She said, I will always remember standing in that little kitchen looking at him, and he said, now you can't go anywhere. See, she had a plan. It got derailed. So she decided, I'm going to go get a loan. So she got a loan, put a lien on this little 95 Camry that she had. But the money that she got, all it did was get her into a tiny little apartment Back then, she worked at a jail 84 hours every two weeks, but she only brought home about $580, not much. She said what she was bringing in wasn't enough to meet the bills. She had two dogs and a cat, and if anybody knows her, she knows how much those animals mean to her. And she goes on to say that at one time, she got a notice from her bank that said, we can't give you this extra money in the negative anymore. Because, you know, sometimes the banks will do that. They'll say, we'll let you go this far under with these charges on it. But she was living on that, and they said no more. So that plan she had was gone. That control she had was gone. The dogs to her are like her kids, and she said the dogs were about out of food at the time, and it wasn't a pay week, and I had a while until money came in. I had no food in the fridge, no food in the pantry, and all I had for them was just a little bit of, of dry dog food. It sounds crazy, they're just dogs, but they're my dogs. 
and they've been with me through some really tough times. There's a story in the Bible about a woman and her son who had only enough oil and flour for one final meal. She accepted it'd be their final meal, and then they would die. A man named Elijah came, asking her for something to eat, and assured her that she could make something for them, him, and there would still be enough. She says, I'm sure she thought he was crazy. She knew what she had. She knew it wasn't enough. She saw it with her own two eyes. There we go. Remember from our vantage point of what we're saying? She saw it with her own two eyes. Sure enough, there was plenty. The flour and the oil never ran out. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Physical, real-life things like oil and flour not running out does not make sense. It isn't logical. It doesn't even seem real. But I can tell you that that little bit of dog food that wasn't enough for one serving somehow lasted until I got paid. The next time the dogs needed to eat, she went to the bag and she opened it up and somehow there was enough for two scoops. This went on for a week, a week. She goes on and says, when I tell you I lived the struggle, I did. You know how I say that we compare ourselves? Brit's always compared herself and says, in her words, she's the black sheep. She's not to me. But she says, I came from parents and a brother that always seemed to have it together. And I'm the one, when you look at me, I look a little bit different. She had her tattoos and she had her gauges till she went in the military. But God created her with her own unique things. And she knows who he is. She said, I've struggled with things many times in my life, things that just happened, some that, sh that were her, her own. She talks about being in places where you lose control is tough. But she says, those places were tough, but if I just give up the idea of control and give it all over to him from the beginning, things can be so much better, so much smoother. Regardless if you have control or not, your control will never be as good as his. Your answers, your solutions, your quick fixes, none of those things can amount to the things that he can do for your life. I've been there, I've done that, and I can assure you from experience, his ways are better than your ways. Just give it up. When she sent that to me the other day, I did not expect all that. And as tears ran down my face and I read it to her dad, I contacted her later and I said, why in the world didn't you call? Your dad said, your dad was right down the road. She said, because I needed more than you could do. I needed more than money for the moment. And then she said it. She said, I needed something to sustain me. Webster says to sustain is to strengthen or support physically or mentally. And sometimes it all goes together, doesn't it? Scripture, Psalms 54, 4 says, Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Psalms 55, 22 says, Cast your burden on the Lord. Throw it out, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. And I remembered what we said last week about an anchor, that an anchor will hold you in place. But I wanted to go a little bit deeper so I looked at Strong's Concordance, and the Hebrew word is cool, K-O-O-L. It means to keep, to maintain, to bear, to feed, to guard, to nourish, to make provision. 
good, isn't it? He's all those things. But there was something I had forgotten. God just speaks to me simple. And that was Friday that I'd been studying those things. I went to bed Friday night, and in the middle of the night I woke up. And I remembered something I said to Stuart. I said, your eyes are so red. Are they tired? And he said, yes, I need to put drops in them. Well, do you know what the name of his drops are? Sustain. The Lord said, don't forget, Judy, you didn't write down. Refresh. He's the refresher. He's the refresher. So what is it today that's in your barrel or what's in your bag that you feel like you've just about, you're just about out, you're just about empty? As Brittany said, give it up and trust him. He will sustain you. Psalms 3 and 3 says, But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. When I read that, I thought about Sawyer because a lot of times he's busy doing his things, and when I want to get his attention, I'll say, Sawyer, look at Nana. Sometimes he's so busy, I'll put my, my hand under his face, and I'll say, look at Nana. Doesn't he do that to us? Isn't he saying, look at me, look at me. I will sustain you. I will guard you. I will nourish you. I will maintain you. I'll bear you up. I'll make provision. And if you're just tired and worn out, girl, I will refresh you. This right here is not just a pile of stories. It is filled with truth. In it, it even says he doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did back then, what he did for that little woman and her son, man, somehow he did that for my daughter and her dogs. You can call me crazy. That's a testimony. Remember how we said share the stories last week? My parents shared their stories with me. We shared our stories with our kids. Our kids have stories to go to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. I thought about this book, and that old song came to my mind. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line, for it tells me of his love divine. Every promise in the book is mine. This morning I was listening to music, getting ready, and I had Elevation playing. I had never even heard Elevation sing this. It's an old song, and it was Blessed Assurance. I thought, man, that sums it up. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. If I can remember that, it's going to be a whole lot easier for me to Step back, step to the side, or just be still. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Whatever I need, he's got it. My plans, I can think I've got a great plan. It does not compare to what he has planned. Those things that I think I've got control of, I really don't have control. And as Brittany said, your control will never be as good as his control. I had written down this scripture to close the class with, and it's so funny how God like confirms stuff. We pulled up behind a car sitting in front of Dairy Queen, and they had the scripture on the back of his car, and I said, I love it. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. This morning, I just want to encourage you to trust him enough to give him control, regardless of what the situation is. Trust him enough. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's Church of the Living God, Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you were blessed by today's word. If you'd like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at Win City C O L G 
or give us a call at 859-745-1865.